This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. It's Siri's cousin. mug though next time yeah <laughs> yeah no but it's a it's a it's a red solo cup so it just makes it even trashier there you go val what are you drinking i found this tropical passion fruit moscato mm-hmm. and i'm sad we- because they threw away my pickle jar so i found something worthy of replacing it and done <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> I thought my red solo cups were gonna win the day, but God, that is just—yeah, guys, gotta watch. This is barely past Oktoberfest. That works. For- <laughs> okay, Amanda, what are you drinking? I am actually uh, drinking Sir Henry's Twisted Apple Hard Cider. It's made by oh, here we go. Twisted Apple Hard Cider, and it's made by Keel Farms Agrarian Ale and Cider. They're located in. Plant City, which is also where Sir Henry's is. And I'll, I'll read the, the back description. It's very, it's in a very douchey voice. With strong green apple aromas, this twisted apple cider is a scary reminder of how delicious caramel apples can be. The taste of sweet, sticky caramel complements tart green apple notes and lingers on your palate. Hints of sweet red apples and toffee cuts through the tart notes and provides you with a well-balanced, easy-to-drink cider. I'll, uh, I'll open it's to that. There we go. There we go. Sexy. This guy on the cover, and they're like, let's talk about the aromatic flavors of this particular I, I think tart <laughs> is written in there four times. Yeah. Tart, tart. It is, yeah. We need a thesaurus going on here. What's the deal? <laughs> Well, I'm sticking similar to the theme. I also have a product for Sir Henry's, but since I don't drink alcohol, this is my regular spice cider for the evening. I like it. I like that. that looks like a giant wine bottle. So regardless if you drink alcohol, you basically look way worse off. Than the rest of the <laughs> we're right. all like, look, we're refined. We have cups. I have right. Money. Bottle man. Yep, that's right. Bottle. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about what you both write. So whichever one wants to go first, go for it. Sure. Uh, well, you can go first because um, you're the established horror author and you have much more of a body of work than I do. Well, I write almost exclusively horror uh, horror stories, and thus far, mainly uh, stories as well, kind of uh, short stories. Probably no more than I think. 10,000 words was the longest that I've done. So uh, I haven't done anything like novel length, but um, 
I've self-published uh, several collections of short stories, kind of um, anthologies, all horror-themed. And then I've had a few of my short stories also published in anthologies released by publishing houses as well. So that's kind of the crux of it right now is horror short stories, hopefully expanding on to, you know, longer, more novel length eventually, but mainly exclusively horror. But I mean, your books are like full length, well, you they're, know. they're anthologies. Yeah, yeah they're anthologies. Yeah. Short story collection, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That still counts. Yes. Yeah. Still counts. Yes. Stephen King started there. Oh yeah, definitely. Exactly. Okay, Amanda, what do you write? Uh, so basically, the the biggest thing that we're here to talk about uh, today is Sir Henry's haunted tales. Um, so it didn't just look like we had a bunch of Sir Henry's drinks for no reason. Uh, it's all planned out. It was all it's all a ploy. So Sir Henry's haunted tales. Um, I actually you helped me write two chapters and you did proofreading on it. But um, this book is actually based off of the characters of the haunt that is located in Plant City, Florida, called Sir Henry's Haunted Trail. And how it happened, how it came about, was we are huge fans of the haunted uh, attraction. We've been going since 2019, and we just noticed how story-centric uh, this haunt was. A lot of recurring characters every season, even for, like, the Valentine's off-season events that aren't on Halloween. So we approached um, the owner, uh, Zach, and we're, we were just like, you know, we need to write a book about this. Do you have someone you're talking to about this? And he's like, no, let's, um, let's, let's get this going. Let's, let's get this, um, this process going to write this book. So then this baby was born and it is um, a horror anthology. Um, I mean, it's all in the same universe, but it's like every single chapter focuses on a different character within that universe. But it's it's very I would I would equate it to Trick or Treat, like the movie Trick or Treat um, with the little character Sam with the lollipop. It's like all the characters kind of intersect with this main character, Sir Henry. So that is my first long form fictional piece. Um, I've helped him with some stories before and I've designed his book covers, but um Maybe there'll be a second one. Maybe. Maybe there'll be an announcement next year. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so this is your first one. But when did you start writing, Brad? Let's see, when? I want to say, like, actually, well, I've been actually writing for years, like, since, you know, middle school, uh, grade school, just, like, writing stories on binder paper back in the 90s and early 2000s and whatnot. But actually moving forward and attempting to, you know, self-publish and get my stories out into out into the world. I want to say probably since maybe 2016, 2017, that was when I released my first self-published one. And then <clears throat> since then, I haven't fully focused on self-publishing as of late, like in the past year or so, because I've been working with a couple other actual publishing houses. So I've been kind of moving, to, you know, a little bit further away from just releasing my own stuff to partnering up with other other writers and other publishers. So I've been, do, I've been doing it for a few years so far. Very cool. And then, Amanda, this being your first book, this is quotations going on. Quotations. But have you, did you write before I do a lot of things? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a writer before? What is your genesis? You go, you know what? I'm gonna write a book about this. 
Sure. I mean, I, I have a background uh, in print journalism from college, so um, definitely have been writing uh, professionally for a few years. But, you know, a lot of it's like press releases, white papers. So my thing was that I a big part of my passion with that marketing and journalism was being able to write feature style stories. Um, I just really like to get to the meat and bones of a specific story. So for me, getting to write case studies or feature stories about businesses and how they grew from the ground up or what inspired them to start their business um, and then somehow equating in a cheap way whatever product we were trying to sell into their story. It was just any way that I could to be able to tell a creative style story I liked. So um, um, I did write another book quite a few years ago, but it was it was a story that talked about um, a TV show and its fan base and uh, kind of like some conspiracy theories as to why that TV series was just kind of like... Nonfiction? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was like nonfiction, but um, so that was, that was my first time really writing something, but I mean, this is just different because it's a fictional piece, but I got my practice from writing some short stories for him for uh, his books. So, you know, with his encouragement and with people really uh, giving good feedback on social media that they liked what I had to write, I was like, okay, so maybe I could write something long form and it won't suck. <laughs> and I guess it doesn't suck so bad. So that's good. Yay for not sucking. And I, I'm always telling people how important it is to not discredit their time writing fan fiction because you got to... That drive to tell a story is sometimes not easier if you don't already have characters in a world to play in. So it's almost like going to the sandbox and then later you go to the beach and you have full range or, or to the desert. Uh, so what are some things that you learned while writing fiction that you think prepped you for the next stage? Um... I wouldn't really call it fan fiction, though, um, because, I mean, we're referring to Sir Henry's, right? Sir Henry's book, or what would we be referring to? That, that was more like a case study. I think that misunderstood, but I know. I know. This is what happens when I drink. I'm not totally following. It only happens when you're drinking out of a boot. Out of a boot. <laughs> I do have a question. So, well, one, one for our listeners who maybe don't are not familiar with the term haunt. Yeah. Oh, of course. So, um, yeah, haunted attractions are really like if you go to like a bigger theme park and then at Halloween they'll put together like mazes or like scary zones where characters will pop out and and scare you and stuff like that. So it's a very Halloween centric thing um but it also you know uh, dates back to like dark rides where you would uh, go around on a little car and things would pop out like or you can mainly pretty much just call it a haunted house like if you're going out halloween night and someone says hey there's this haunted house at the mall or this there you know there's a there's a haunted house at the park that looks cool let's go check it out that's basically what a, what a haunt is haunt is just kind of the term they use sort of in the industry for shorthand but basically anything where there'll be like actors set throughout the throughout the building or the or like the forest trail or whatever and they'll you know they'll jump out and pop out at you that sort of thing it's almost always a walk-through attraction but it's basically what you would call just a haunted house at halloween time basically yeah i'm just letting everybody in the industry lingo 
you know, for the layman, they say whatever. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And what was different about this particular haunt than other haunts? Sure, I mean, you can answer that if you'd like. Well, I think what was appealing about this one for for me mainly was when we went one year and you'd see all the, the have like kind of a common area, sort of like a courtyard that all the different haunted trails and haunted houses branch off from. And in that courtyard area, they'd have costume characters walking around, interacting with people, posing for pictures, uh, kind of scaring them, that sort of thing. But I recall one year they actually put up uh, banners for the characters on the walls, like the fence that surrounds the perimeter of the property. They had banners up with the characters' uh, faces and uh, like a name attached to them. And that was kind of when we learned that this particular haunted attraction actually didn't just grab a bunch of random masks and put them on people. They actually created characters, legitimate characters who may or may not have a backstory. And then over time, as we started going more and more, and we kind of became more sort of regulars, almost sort of on a first name basis with the cast and the crew and the creator to the point where they recognize us, basically. Um, that was kind of to the point where we kind of thought, you know, this is interesting. We, we kind of like the fact that they've created names and, and characterizations for these guys who you see walking around. And the fact that they create backstories for the haunted attractions themselves, they'll have like a like a sheet they'll give you with a paragraph that has tells you exactly what's going on in the haunted house and why it's there and the characters. So we we kind of established from there that we wanted to see if we can expand upon it and actually create something that fully explores these different characters that the uh, creator of the haunted attraction made. And I think it was just mainly realizing that there was something there aside from just these random monsters walking around that there might be something further to explore. And just the fact that we were really big fans of the event as it is just in general, you know, how entertaining and fun it is and that we go every year. We thought, okay, well maybe, uh, you know, maybe we'll see if the creator wants to uh, give us his blessings to expand upon these characters that he's created and see where that goes. Yeah, and just the, the quality of how good the experience is when you go really stood out to us because before, when we were living in California, because we moved from, uh, from San Diego County out here, um, a lot of the haunted attractions out there would really be kind of like something built up in a parking lot and you just go through one house and it was a good story, it was fun. But this, when you go to Sir Henry's, like you really feel like it's, it's almost like a miniature theme park, just in the woods. There's no noise pollution from music or really like cars or nearby businesses or things like that. You really do feel like you are in this foreign little bubble. It is almost like it, it, it is akin to reading a really good book and becoming enveloped in that story and not wanting to close those pages because you really have placed yourself into that universe. That's really cool. So yeah. You go, this is cool, I'm gonna write about this. You start peeling back the layers. How much truth is there to some of the characters that they create in the Um, I mean, I I know that the the owner of the haunt, uh, Zach uh, Glaros, a lot of things are little pieces of um, things that he's experienced. Like the name Sir Henry is based off of the street that he grew up on um, as a child. 
and that's where he came up with the name for this flagship character of Sir Henry. He's the uh, the the skeleton with the top hat. That's, him, that's the man himself. Lots of different mm -hmm. uh, lots of different interpretations of how the character looks and everything. But um, as far as you know, like the characters and their backstories and their experiences, it, it is all very fanciful. It's it all takes place like this whole storyline of all of these haunted attractions and the different stories take place within uh, the Great Depression time era. So it's not really anything that touches anything that anyone that would attend the haunt would be familiar with. I actually just found out the other day that Zach, um, his minor is in American history from when he went to college. So that would explain why a lot of this storytelling is very time specific to um, this certain era um, of American history. But I think that's cool because that also helps you to really put yourself into the story and away from modern life. Like you can really, um, I move my hands a lot when I drink. Yeah, just don't poke me in the face, that's all. Yeah. Um, I mean, these characters are very wild and out there. I mean, one of them, she can generate electricity from a staff and like one of them has a giant pumpkin head. So it's, I don't know, it's not really grounded in reality, but I think that's the fun of it is that it's like very paranormal and weird. Well, yeah, so when you wrote it and he, you, you approached him um, back and said, hey, we want to write about this, how many of the characters did you see from the characters that were on site then? Um, so we, as far as in the book, we have featured, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. actually nine. So um, <laughs> though he's had a lot of different characters in the past, um, we've decided to focus on about like eight or nine of the characters and really just kind of suss out those stories. Um, and even though it is a shorter book, it was a good start, but now that, you know, there could be development for a second one. Now there is more of an opportunity to explore those other characters that have that have been so popular at this event. So either way, there's plenty of stuff to write about because they've been yeah. around since 2014. Yeah, and so. another neat um, uh, one of the more appealing aspects of it is that the characters and sometimes, occasionally, even some of the things for the haunted houses uh, occasionally repeat throughout the years. So, and they all rotate. So you'll have one year where you'll have one specific character out and about, and in another year that character might not be present, and then they'll return. And it's created sort of a sort of a, like a miniature legacy for the characters, and even a bit of a fan base for some of them, which is which was another motivation for the book because some of these characters we've had uh, when we first announced the book, there was a few people who popped online asking if such and such character was going to be featured. And when we confirmed they were, they got all excited about being able to learn more about their favorite character. And then just recently, we've even seen um, basically like um, what you would call cosplay, like fans of the event dressing up like some of the characters themselves, like a, that little kid dressed up as Sir Henry. That was really so, cute. Exactly, exactly. So these characters themselves are starting to, even though it's a small event, they're starting to branch out especially in this area in the Florida uh, Florida area, which is already kind of a haven for haunted attractions. They're starting to branch out and forge their own legacy, which was 
another main reason why we wanted to try and bring more to these characters so people can pick up the book and read about these these characters that they see walking around in the courtyard and interacting with people and scaring them and know that there's more than just a man under a mask that there's actually a, a fully conceived backstory and history behind who these folks are and why they're here yeah what he said <laughs> Oh yeah, he, yeah. His his process, he likes to um, coordinate with the people who yeah. work with this haunt. Um, he has like his head production people that he collaborates with. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that like even the people who come to volunteer and scare, um, he likes their, you know, he commonly likes feedback on um, the, the styles in which these people will scare patrons like that, that one gal who does the crow. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the Raven character. Um, there was like a hole in a fence that people walk past when these characters pop out and go like, ah! and there's a hole. So she came up with the idea to say like, I'm going to stick the beat through the hole. I don't know if the guy who runs the place will like it, but I'm going to try it. And it actually would like creep people out. So all of a sudden you just see like this bird's beak through a hole going like, rah, rah, rah. so then the owner ended up really liking that. He's like, okay, that's actually really good. So I wouldn't even be surprised if, you know, if these volunteer scare actors like ha has any one-on-one -on -one time with him and they can give feedback on saying, oh, there's a cool character that you should consider, um, you know, putting into your lineup. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very collaborative, the the creative process between them. I think that the, mainly the man who runs the, the attraction and who conceived it is that I think he kind of laid the kind of the groundwork for a lot of the characters, but there's definitely a lot of interpretation and creative input from the rest of the crew and the folks who actually portray the characters out there as well. So did you talk to them? Oh yeah, you can you can go and you can have like a whole conversation with uh with what? Well I think she's talking about like if uh, do you mean like if we if we spoke to them during the creative process? Yeah. Like, so if I'm yeah. playing pumpkin-headed characters, come talk to me as a pumpkin-headed character to get, that's not the name of the character, I'm just having lots of drinks. <laughs> lots of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> talk to that character to get some of the backstory from that character, did you get it from that? Yeah, exactly. Um, some of these characters are kind of portrayed, kind of like have like a master actor, like, like one person who kind of, made that character their own and portrays them like 80% of the time out there. And we collaborated with a lot of those people as well. For, so for example, when we were conceiving the story for the pumpkin character, his name his name's Pyram. So when we were conceiving the, the story for Pyram, we reached out specifically to the actor that portrays him out there on the trail and in the courtyard and asked him, okay, here's our idea. What do you guys think about it? Uh, what would you have any suggestions for us? What have you established your own backstory for him already? And if so, we're going to respect that, and we're going to expand upon and get your your input, your your creative input, and uh, your blessing on what we can see for the character. So we definitely reached out to the rest of the staff and the actors as well, and they uh, kind of collaborated with us on how they felt the character should be portrayed and whether or not we needed to go and alter anything during our our stories as well. Well, ultimately, it was Zach's final decision because, well, yeah. yeah, so, it, you know, regardless if the actors had thought, had strong feelings on what their character should be, ultimately, 
the final level of approval would go through um, the owner, Zach, and just he would have very minimal notes. The, the most that, notes that he would have is anything that would involve Sir Henry. He refers to that as like his Mickey Mouse character, mm -hmm. uh, just because he wants to be very careful about how he's portrayed and how detailed his story would be. But otherwise, for all the other characters, it was always like, that's great. I'm good no notes and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. there'd be a sir henry um chapter i'd be like all right i better gird my loins <laughs> and, and present it. him with the story what he thinks and so here's what i have to say it's like no. it's like this is good but here are my notes but i mean I, that's that's totally understandable but yeah exactly yeah we gotta yeah. respect his creation because he's the one who conceived them and gave us the uh the blueprints to build upon yeah yeah what he said yeah what he said He's the sober one. Woo! Okay, guys, we gotta take a break. Cool. This is the voice of Drinking with Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. I mean, we've legitimately started the podcast again. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. When when you hear Siri's cousin, mm -hmm. that means you're back. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. So, um, next question. Um, you said he guarded this like Mickey Mouse, um, which I think is awesome. This is just really fascinating because I haven't talked to somebody. It's one thing we talk about doing a biography, but this is like a biography for not real people. And right. It's kind of fascinating. Were you able to make up any characters to do this? Um, I mean, we we have like some kind of like background uh, characters that interact with the main ones. So, like in your character, for, characters. for yeah, for Kane, you made up those uh, those bully characters that live in this orphanage. Um, so naturally, there will be kind of like these tertiary characters that will interact and kind of work as plot devices to move these characters along yeah, within their story. Yeah, detailed. Yeah, like Pyram. We had, we had to create... A lot of victims. Yeah, a lot of victims. A lot I of like that. red shirt characters. <laughs> red shirts. <laughs> we created the body count for this particular book. Um, I'm curious of the performers that have read the book so far. How many performers read about their characters and fed back to you? Oh yeah, I mean um, the the yeah the character the that plays uh, Vex uh, Sam Samantha just like loved her chapter and when we were I'm talking about how she was promoting it to the people that, that's what I'm saying yeah is when we were doing our book signings at the event and people would be talking to us about the book and on like the the verge of buying it she would come up to them and do her little zap in thing full she, character. in full character and she'd be like I'm in chapter three and then she would just run away mm -hmm. and it's like okay well chapter three so there you go you have Vex's seal of approval mm -hmm. but it was neat that I mean um Calvin who 
he he's the actor that plays Pyram, but he's also portrayed um, multiple characters in the book. He's played the Harvester, mm-hmm. and he's played um, the adult version of Kane. So he he loved it. He he read it what in like one night. Mm-hmm. Like he sat down and read it mm-hmm. in one night. I was like, oh okay. So I guess it didn't suck that much. Mm-hmm. You can sit through it in one sitting and read it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've gotten a lot of good feedback. We went through one of the haunts, uh, one of the like the the mazes this year, and one of the char- like a lot of the characters will go through and they know our names because we wrote the book for this property. And in one of the houses, the character comes out from under the bed and she's like, "Look, it's it's Brad and Amanda. Why didn't you write about the captain?" And it's like the the icon <laughs> character of that trail was the captain. And I'm like, I feel like being like, "Cause I it didn't exist yet. I didn't know the captain existed yet." But I was like, you know, the captain and his backstory is cool. So maybe at some Sequel. point <laughs> that will become a thing. But it was neat to go through these haunted houses, um, not just as a fan anymore, but having that level of recognition. Um, from this, you know, the spooky family that we call them. And then they would use that as ammo to mess with us as we walk through these these haunted houses. Yeah, taunt us and talk to us and stuff, yeah. Yep, like the, the um, there's a house blood masquerade with vampires. And, uh, of course, one of them was like, oh, but isn't my favorite author. I can't wait to drink your creative juices. And I was like, I have iron deficiency. You don't want none of this. <laughs> yeah, they're having fun with it. They're just having fun with it. Yeah. Yes, because I think vampires often think about iron deficiencies. They're like, I'm sorry. Are you being a picky one, too. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm hard bad. <laughs> so let's talk about season horror genre to begin with. Um, right with Brad, this is the genesis of this. What got you to start writing horror? Yeah, what got you to start writing horror? Mm-hmm. Well, I've always, you know, I've always, I've always liked writing, and I've always wanted to kind of, uh, you know, flex my creative muscle um, in regards to, in in regards to the written medium. Um, I think it mainly just stemmed from my love of actually reading horror stories when I was younger. You know, like for most kids at the '90s, it started with Goosebumps and R.L. Stein. Oh, and yes. then he, exactly, exactly. He's I from the, my he's collection in the background here somewhere. My full R.L. Stein collection is still here. <laughs> and then, um, you know, as I get older, I graduate to the more mature heavy hitters. You know, Stephen King, uh, Clyde Barker, uh, Dean Koontz, all those guys. And I just think that as I kind of moved forward, reading more and just devouring more and more horror fiction, I decided that was something that I wanted to do. And, you know, I used the inspiration that I gathered from reading all these other horror writers and just kind of basically put pen to page and uh, wanted to see what would happen. And yeah, I think that's very so. I write horror, oh, okay. Genres I write. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mainly write paranormal horror like this, or do you write like serial killers, gore? Or do you generally write? A little bit of everything, I'd say. I, I do have, I have written some things that do deal with more true life horrors and a lot of more fantastical paranormal aspects as well. Um, one of my favorite genres or techniques I like to use, um, since I I held a, 
well, I don't, I don't know if they qualified it as a major, but my, my main course of study in college was world mythology. So I incorporate a lot of mythology from other cultures like Greek mythology, Egyptian, uh, all those different cultures. I incorporate a lot of that into my stories. I'll take their myths and kind of give it a more either modern or supernatural twist. Uh, basically whatever kind of works. A lot of times I'll go off of like writing prompts, like I'll go to websites or, or uh, pages that'll post like, you know, write a story based on these two or three words and I'll just kind of let it ferment my mind a bit and then start writing notes on it and end up crafting like a 5,000 word story out of it. So it just all, it all depends, but there's no real like specific genre of horror that I laser focus on. It kind of bounces around a bit. I like the use of the word for, ferment and it's about drinking with there authors. Go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, so you started self-publishing. Is this book self-published as well? Uh, the Sir Henry's book, yeah, it is. It's just, we just wanted to do this experiment and, you know, basically just sell it on our own, not have to deal with, um, you know, trying to find a publishing house or dealing with a publishing house that would have kind of that that element of control over it. It would have been a lot of copyright issues considering we were using, you know, like creative characters already. Yeah, so. yeah. So that we really just wanted to you know, at least for the first book, depending on how there was a response or if a publishing company approached us, we wanted to have that that manner of control between the three of us. So between us writing it and then Zach um, approving it and giving a, giving his notes, it, it's, it was just kind of more fun that way mm -hmm. because then we really, as him as a business owner who has been running this haunted attraction for eight years, and us as hardcore haunt fans and horror fans and, and, and literary types, that really was the best recipe to provide the best product for haunt fans. So whether you have someone who came to this attraction who is a bookworm and loves reading and is like, oh, I got to get that book. Or you have somebody who is looking at t-shirts and candles and then they see a shorter length book then it's a thing where it's like, okay, well, maybe I'll, uh, I'll pick that up and I'll read it. And then was that one guy who said it was the first book that he had read in years or something like that. Yeah. yeah he's like, I'm not a reader, but I'm a compliment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, yeah. One guy was like, like just break his streak with our book. Okay. One guy was like, does book have pictures in it? And I was like, well, there's some, there's some, uh, character like, yeah, there's, I, there's icons and character portraits. And then what was it? I opened up one of the pages of the book to show them the, um, chapter the, icons. The chapter icons. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wait, that print's really big. That's great. I'll go buy it. Mm -hmm. So we went to go buy it because I made the text of the book really big. But I mean, it, it takes, you know, some, some people finds it appealing once again. Some people <laughs> like that, though. They want something that's a comfortable read. So it was a good gateway book drug. I guess, but the second book, whenever that gets going, it'll be a bigger, meatier book. Yeah, long story short, though, yeah, it is, it is self-published, uh, mainly, you know, a homegrown book for that fits with a, an attraction that was homegrown as well. So we figured that's, you know, as she said, the best way to keep, keep creative control between us and the team themselves, basically. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> So what is your, <laughs> like, Brad, please answer the question so I can. Uh, yeah, what he said. <laughs> so when, 
since this was your first foray, so to speak, into this, I'm going to write a book. I love that you're like, I did a couple short stories. I'm writing a whole book. And um, so this is your first story. You guys keep kind of hinting to a second one. Are you planning on a second one? I, I mean, I, I think we've hinted at it in quite a few oh, I'd say so. ways yeah we, we're gonna like it'll be an official announcement valentine's day but yeah there, there will be i mean zach zach's expressed interest in it um this first book has gotten a good response and there's still lots more with the lore with the different characters and themes that we haven't explored in the first book yet so there's definitely plenty of, of, of uh, material to sift through for a sequel and so far you know as you mentioned the book's been doing pretty pretty well sales wise and review wise and the creator of the of the attraction has expressed interest in continuing to keep uh keep more volumes coming out so you know right now it's not not official but looking pretty confident so far yeah yeah you know it's it's a really cool it's a really cool way to safely explore your fears and fear is just it's it's such a driving emotion um being a human um whether you experience it in a literal sense that's that's totally different but kind of putting yourself through kind of artificial fear for the excitement of it um but also like the the creative aspect of it of human beings getting together and coming up with these twisted storylines and you can actually walk through these physical pieces of art with these very passionate performers that's just that's just really freaking cool <laughs> there you go i don't know you can explain it better i'm just gonna say up front what he said i'm gonna take another sip i'll <laughs> drink <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, that works so far. That works so far. You know, I mean, it's you know just very slight elaboration on what she said. It's like the uh, the difference between watching a horror film and actually going out to experience one in real life, which is you know kind of a just kind of a, a intangible appeal to it. Whereas you know, there's some people who would say, you know, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to go out and get scared? Um, why does that entertain you? But then you can ask the same people, you know, why do you go on roller coasters at the carnival or theme park that they're, they're scary, but you know that 99% of the time, not every time, 99% of the time you're going to be perfectly safe and you're going to feel like this rush of adrenaline and this rush of fear and you know you're going to have your feet on the ground within a few minutes. Same thing with the haunted attraction, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're frightening, but they're meant to be scary and entertain you at the same time. You'll walk through, you'll get scared, and about three minutes later, you'll walk out through the exit, and you'll, you know, you'll be all excited and talking to your friends or whoever you're with about what part scared you the most or what you thought of it, and you know, it's just something, something like that that you know can kind of kind of bring folks together and just go out and have a fun time. There's also a voyeuristic quality to it where you can watch other people get scared, and yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's just exciting to see what people's li other people's limits are. The reaction to yeah. yeah, because you know everybody different um when we were doing our last signing table event at sir henry's I, um sometimes people get confused and they come up to our table and they think that we're uh customer service and they'll ask us random questions like where's the bathroom or whatever but then this one lady comes up to us and she's like how would you rate the houses and i was like could you elaborate what you mean by that she's like 
in terms of how scary they are. I was like, okay, well, I think that maybe I would rate um, Captain's Fury as the least scary, then Blood Masquerade as like in the middle, and then I would say that uh, Nightmarrow is probably the most intense. And she's like, okay, well, I just went through Captain's Fury, and I about had a heart attack, so I guess I'm just going to be leaving now. <laughs> and it's just it's all subjective. Though. It is subjective, but it's uh, it's just interesting to see what what people's limits are. So I think that that's a fun part of it too, is the voyeuristic quality of watching other people get scared and how they react to it. Yeah, well, even on occasion, we'll kind of hang out at the end of the haunted house. Usually there's a big scare in the last room, like more often than not, immediately it's a guy with a chainsaw who comes running at you in the dark. And we'll kind of hang out at the end and watch how different people react. And it's usually never the same way twice. Like you'll have this big six foot eight 300 pound linebacker looking guy come running out of the house screaming at the top of his lungs or else you're in, on the other side you'll have like this like a five foot five foot girl who's you know you know looks like the type you'd stereotypically expect to shriek at the top of her lungs and she'll just be walking out and kind of smirking at the chainsaw guy yep. kind of not even not even bothered by him yeah. So it's just fun watching how different people react to different things and uh, seeing seeing how it goes down. Yeah. It's interesting. You did put Carnival and Amusement Park in the same category. And I think if you round the 99 percentile, you're okay. But if you separate those categories, yeah. it's a different dimension of safety to feed a ratio between carnivals and amusement parks. That well, is that's correct. A I think I subconsciously put that in there because there is a difference between going on a roller coaster at Disneyland and going on the, the portable uh, roller coasters that they'll set up in a Walmart parking lot. So there's a slight, slight different yeah. fear between those different rides. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I love how this is, this is, you know, I host the anthology myself, but I don't have like a haunt to kind of physically go and just immerse myself into it. And I think it's so cool because not only did you have some plays and actors to help immerse you in the characters themselves, which is unusual and, and probably something we all secretly as authors or writing could do, but you, you had a setting and you could watch other people's experiences and use that. How much did that inspire your writing? Like every time you'd go, you'd have a, I know like when I go to a writer's conference, I have the surge to write. Was it like that every time you'd visit while in the process of the book? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's pieces in the book that are directly reflected upon some piece of the property that whenever we would go there, I just would have like this very, like a fence. yes, there's, um, there's a piece of fence. There's these fire pits. So when it's a little colder out, um, people will roast marshmallows at these fire pits and behind there, there's this really old looking fence. It's like a barbed wire fence with wood mm -hmm. posts. And I just, I always have like this very vivid vision of this one corner of the haunt and in it's chapter, so looking. <laughs> it, because it is, it's creepy looking. And I just was like, you know what, like it's, this needs to be in the story somewhere. So in chapter eight, that fence actually shows up or there's, there's even a scene in the book where I, um, physically describe um what it's like to be at these haunts where like the character vex will come up and and scare a bunch of people and then there's like that moment of shock 
people go, <gasps> and they put their hands on their chest, but then they just laugh because they realize it's like there's that, it's that artificial danger, like the danger is over, it was a thrill, it was fun, and they're just having a, having a nice time, so, yeah. I think our biggest point of validation, and see if you agree with me on this, biggest point of validation is most recently people would come up to us at the signing tables, and they would assume that the whole event and the haunt and, and the characters, everything around us was based upon a book that we wrote, as opposed to the other way around. They said, so so yeah. they, they built this whole house thing off of your book and your characters. Like, uh, I was like, that's incredibly flattering, but it's the other way around. We yeah. based it upon, yeah, exactly. But that was, you know, and that happened more than once. It was just cool to think that people had read it and thought that it was unique, interesting enough that someone else would read it and decide, I'm going to build an entire seasonal attraction off of this, which, of course, didn't happen. But that's still nice to think that uh, that people would have that assumption. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> is this what I'm supposed to drink? Every time yes, he says that? Yeah, that, that's the cue. Wait, that's like a <laughs> <shot. laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, speaking more of fans and readers, fans of the haunt and readers of the book, have they noticed Easter eggs or, or written in reviews or, or told you that, hey, isn't this from this, which would be only someone who, who's been there would know? Is, is there little Easter eggs like that throughout the stories? Yeah, we definitely... Um in specific parts of talking about Sir Henry's backstory, there's this statue that's on property that, um, make the centerpiece. It's, it was, it was like the big centerpiece. Now it's been moved off to the side now, but in all past years, this giant statue of Sir Henry in his human form has been on that property for a very long time. And it's always been a big centerpiece. And um, that has been a pivotal part of the story, especially with like through the prologue and I think um, chapter one, I want to say. Hold on, I got mm -hmm. look at my book. Through the book. <laughs> look through it. Um, do, do, do. Yes, chapter okay, one. I still have to look through all my books. I'm like, what did I name that dude on the. <laughs> The dude. The I named him the dude. He's the big Lebowski. Um, but yeah, I, I've had people notice that where they're like, "Oh yeah, this this statue." Like they would look at the statue on part of like, "That's the statue from the from the story from the from the prologue." And or like, the gal yeah. that got all excited about about Poppy, the character. Yeah, there's one girl's a big Poppy fan that girl. Poppy, yeah. Yeah, so she was very excited about that chapter. Um, but yeah, where there was there was one. Um, one reader as well we actually really love his youtube channel so his response to the book was very validating where he was um he's very excited he's like y'all need to do a second book because this one was really good and you've laid the groundwork out and what one of his comments was like he says it feels like you've you've assembled the the um avengers mm -hmm. of a small haunt horror and we need to see what what happens next and i was like that's awesome <laughs> i love that I think that's um okay. Who are your favorite characters? Hmm. Like you mean the, from the Star Wars universe? Or from the haunt. Who are your favorite characters? Okay, yeah. Well, I'm I'm partial to Pyram myself, the uh, the pumpkin guy. He's a he's a character who wears like this um, really large like kind of brown overcoat, and his head is a rotting pumpkin with like a vicious face on it. 
and he carries a staff with a severed head perched on top of it that's carved to look like a jack-o'-lantern. So the first few times that we went to the event before we actually knew the characters or their names, I always say, oh, there goes the pumpkin guy. I got to get a picture with him. He's so cool looking. And then, um, and then when we were kind of divvying up the chapters, deciding on who was going to write which one, you know, we came to the blessed conclusion that I would do Pyram's chapter, and I was very happy to write that. She let me go go all out with that one and make it as assuming and intense as possible. Well, even more important, <laughs> Zach let you, because it's funny because he is a guy who well, that runs... That guy said it gave him nightmares. I remember that. Yeah, he's like, well, I was, I was planning on sleeping tonight, <laughs> but not anymore. Um, I was like, that's what nightlights were made for. But... Yeah, the it's funny because the owner of this haunt, um, he he always says how he's not the biggest horror movie or gore guy, um, which is yeah, which is really <laughs> odd because a big brunt of his income is based off of running a haunted attraction. But uh, yeah, it was cool to just see his reaction to that chapter and be like, "Whoa, okay, who's your favorite? That's fine." Um. I don't know. Okay. I like yeah. I like them all. All of the above. I don't know. I mean, I re I really like Sir Henry. I mm -hmm. know that that's like a basic bitch answer, but I just love Sir Henry. He's just. Okay, we're gonna trade out your cider for some truly if you continue down that answering path. Do <laughs> He's so dapper. He's so dapper. Well, it's funny because looking at all the the Halloween clearance, anything. That was a, a skull with a top hat. Oh, look, it's Sir Henry. I'd be like, oh, look, it's Sir Henry. He's like, you're just going to buy every single skeleton with a top hat. And I'm like, I have no choice. Look, he's going to show it to us. He's going to show us. Yeah, it's Sir Henry. <laughs> That's not him. <laughs> That's not but, him at all. That's like the Disney version of Sir Henry. Right? Are you like, you kids want to watch me take off my head? Like, that's not Sir Henry. Like, he's a tragic anti-hero. But it was also Halloween clearance. I don't know. <laughs> well, then I, we, we are uh, getting tragically near the end of this podcast. There's yeah. another. Yep. Oh, wait, what are you showing us? Wait, she missed oh. it. She wasn't looking up. Another re generic skeleton with a top hat, which is now apparently Sir Henry every time. Okay. <laughs> that one was broken. I need to fix him. Yeah, but still, but, skeleton no, of the top hat. Yeah. That's like Sir Henry. Sir Henry was in charge of a stable of matter of, of um, a brothel. That's like the brothel version of Sir Henry. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, this version of him. I like the multiverse. It. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, what scares you? Mm. Well, do we want a list alphabetical or numerical? Um, I don't know. You know what? Um, there's something real classic about a long, dark hallway with no windows. Uh, I got, uh, I have arachnophobia, so that's always one as well. Um, uh, and then a really weird one is submechanophobia. Hmm. Like the any like where you get theme parks or anything where there's animatronics that are underwater oh, or yeah. things yes. that are sunken underwater, like the Jaws ride traumatized me as a kid, but um, that was still a great ride. Like we mm -hmm. got to go to Tokyo, Japan, just to go on the Jaws ride the one more time. One, yeah. Yep. Yeah. My my answer my answer is slightly similar to that last one. I, I'm really don't have a lot that legit scares me and i'm i'm being honest when i when i say that but 
Um, there is one phobia that I, I researched that clinical term for it is, uh, and I still don't think I can pronounce it correctly, the lassophobia, I believe, which is the essentially the fear of wide open water, which not so necessarily like wading in a pond or going in a swimming pool or anything like that, but like the vast expanse of the open wild ocean. Not being able to see land at all. Basically, or even, even beyond that, even going somewhere where my feet can't touch the floor is just uh, unsettling just due to the fact that there's legitimately a lot of things in the ocean and that when we're in deep water, our bodies aren't necessarily meant to be maneuvering in water. So, like, for example, if you're in the forest and a bear comes after you, you probably have a better chance of surviving that than a shark attacking you because you can't, you know, you're so limited to what you could do underwater. And just the thought of that, something coming up from the depths where you can't even see it coming just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Hence the reason Jaws made billions of dollars. Yep. You are not alone in that. And what's nope. interesting is now that they found giant squids and megalodons and stuff, I'm like, nope, hard pass. Uh, yep. There's the main eating squids that, uh, God, where is it? It's like off of one of the, the port towns in Mexico where they come in and they just start eating up people, <laughs> snatching them up mm. and squids. Pass. You're not helping the situation at all. I, I I wanted to be a marine biologist for a long time. I'm more afraid of a bunch of other stuff. Sharks is the last on the list. It's true. It's true. Yeah, that's like my one main fear, though. A lot of other things that other you know that are common phobias don't really affect me or anything. I mean, I have a dentist appointment tomorrow morning. You know, for God's sake, and it's I'm just sitting here thinking, well, it's an inconvenience. I'm not. I'm not nervous about it or anything. I was oh like, yeah, I don't like dentists. What I'm just saying that a lot it's of people do. For me though, I was like, all right, well, let's just get it over with so I can get on with my day. You know, whereas a lot of other people would be potentially be terrified of the aspect. I'm like, eh, but don't be in the ocean and. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of the clown spiders thing. I I found a spider clown. Wait, clown spider. It's okay. <laughs> clown. Have you seen these clown spiders? No. I think I have. Yeah, with the faces on their abdomens. Oh, yeah. And they mm -hmm. look like clowns. So if you're afraid of clowns and you're afraid of spiders, you're completely fucked. You're like, <laughs> which, again, again, the common phobias that don't affect me. You know, she's afraid of spiders. I'll come and pick them up with my bare hands and set them outside. You can't see it from here, but there's uh, my one allotted shelf for my clown collection over in the corner over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That shelf is about to be given up with Sir Henry memorabilia. So you're, that you're just going to come in and it's just going to be flipped out. That's <laughs> a noble sacrifice. I'll take it now. <laughs> Look, she's like, hmm, she's planning for later. Okay, guys, give some advice to writers. Each of you. What advice would you give to writers out there? I would say that it seems like these days, not even just with writing, but with anything, there's like this hustle culture where the more tired and burnt out you are, the more like a success that you feel like. And I'm very against that, especially if it is in terms with your writing, don't approach your writing from that point of view where you're looking at it like it's a hustle or like, I'm trying to think of how best to articulate it. I've been enjoying a lot of this tart part. <laughs> Stage, you go so hard but just don't, don't treat your writing like a burden um don't treat it like a, a chore like 
just go at it when you feel the most inspired, even if all you have is your phone on you. I can't even tell you how many times that I'll just clickety clackety out notes and email them to myself. Or even if I get up at four, four in the morning and I'll email myself a note about some aspect of writing. And then you just jump off of that from a place of inspiration. So come at it from a place of love and not frustration. That's my, that's yeah, my advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my advice would be to just gain knowledge of the world around you. Read a lot, pick up on what other writers are, are writing about, get to know other cultures, get to know different things happening around you. A lot of the things that I write about aren't, you know, like born directly from nothingness in my mind. I'll, Find like a central concept and build upon it. And the more more inspiration, the more influence you have from learning about other other things, or or just kind of absorbing the world around you. The, you know, just anything creative or or culture wise is something you can build off of and craft into your own into your own story. Very very cool. Okay, guys, the shameless self promotion part of this. Well, let's start with the Sir Henrys. How do people find this book? So, uh, to make it very easy, you can go to SirHenrysHauntedTrail.com and uh, there should be a very magnified uh, link on the homepage where uh, it will take you to a landing page with lots of information about the book as well as a big old button that says buy on Amazon. Um, or you could just look up Sir Henry's Haunted Tales uh, on Amazon and every single sale that comes from this book does go towards uh, a local business like you're you even though you're buying it off of amazon you're still shopping small so yeah and brad how do people find your work now let me um if i may let me ask how am i allowed to um mention the books from from the publishing companies or just my own yeah, yeah, you're an author you sell your books it's shameless I just want to make sure, yeah. all right so this is my most recent self-published this is fooling me amanda designed the cover but this is my own um my own story with nobody else's input it's called suffer the children it's a three-story anthology this one is available on amazon as well so you can find it by either looking for my name brad acevedo and or um look up my um amazon author page and that'll be listed on there as well um, in addition, I also have some of my other stories that have been published. This one is called Krampus Tales. I have one story in here. This is from a company called uh, Jazz House Publishing. Uh, they mainly do retail through Amazon as well. So if you look up uh, um, Krampus Tales or Jazz House on Amazon, you could find that. Uh, the last one is another one. This one's called Anomalies and Curiosities. This is from a company called Quill and Crow Publishing. They sell this through their own website, quillandcrowpublishing.com, also available on Amazon as well. And I have a, um, this is an anthology of a bunch of different authors that I'm featured in. Very, very awesome. You guys have been fantastic to have on this show. So different. First of all, you, you pop the show scary with two authors when you're first. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been Valerie Willis. With Doss Boot. Full of champagne. I don't think she really...